Hey, it's Alan, and I just wanted to let you know that you can now listen to the ongoing history of new music early and ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. The human body can be both very strong and very fragile. Given its complexity, it generally works pretty well. But there are those among us who face challenges because of various disabilities. Some of these are genetic. Others come as the result of accidents, trauma, or some other kind of misfortune. And then there's the effect of disease. It can be very rough. There can be discrimination. And there can be a lot of misunderstanding. At the same time, though, there are opportunities for learning and compassion and dialogue about what some of our fellow human beings need in this life. And, just as important, what special things they can offer back. Musicians are just like the rest of us, subject to the whims and frailties of this bag of water and chemicals that we inhabit. Here are some of their stories. This is the Ongoing History of New Music podcast with Alan Cross. Hello again, I'm Alan Cross. December 3rd is the United Nations International Day of Persons with Disabilities. Since 1992, its goal has been to empower persons with disabilities to ensure equality and inclusiveness around the planet. Lots of projects aimed at awareness and providing dignity, the rights of the disabled, and their general well-being. With that in mind, I thought we'd go through a list of some famous alt-rock musicians who have had their own physical and mental challenges. We want our musical heroes to be immortal and indestructible, but the truth is that they're every bit as human as us when it comes to their physical and mental makeup. Let's start with Joey Ramone. He might have been the archetypical New York punk, but he had issues. First, he had a very bad case of OCD, the kind where he had to perform certain rituals before he could move on, like checking to make sure he locked his apartment door over and over and over again, or this was a big one, stepping on and off a curb a specified number of times before he could keep going. This is a quote from his brother Mickey. It was something that was always there, and he always had to struggle with. These voices in his head would say, you didn't close the door right, you got to do it again. And he would do it 20 times until it was right. Because of what was going on in his head, he was different. When he was younger, doctors who didn't have the same grasp on the condition that we do today told him that he'd never be able to care for himself. He was hospitalized at least once. And as he grew older, he had to summon a lot of inner strength to overcome his compulsions. He was eventually able to hide a lot of his symptoms, but his OCD eventually led to his death. Now, let me explain. In 
In the 90s, Joey was sick. He was suffering from lymphoma. Fortunately, he was getting treatment and the cancer was in remission. But then one icy cold day after Christmas 2000, it was December 30th, 2000 to be exact, he was overcome by this feeling that he hadn't closed a door properly on the other side of town. He fought the urge to do something about it, but eventually the OCD won out and he left his apartment. On his way to that door, wherever it was, he slipped and fell on some ice. And because his bones were so weak and brittle from all the chemo, he broke his hip badly. That required hospitalization. He had surgery for the hip, and that required that he be taken off his anti-lymphoma medication. But this left him so weakened that the lymphoma came back. His immune system was completely overwhelmed. And on April 15, 2001, he died. Now that you know that, maybe this song will have a different meaning entirely. The Ramones featuring Joey, a lifelong sufferer of OCD. But that wasn't Joey's only challenge. He also had Marfan syndrome. This is a genetic disorder that affects the connective tissue of the body. People with Marfans tend to be very tall and very thin with long limbs, fingers, and toes. This can lead to scoliosis along with certain types of heart and circulatory conditions. And because Marfans people are tall, they have a long way to go when they fall, which brings us back to Joey's fall. Bradford Cox of the band Deer Hunter has Marfans, as does Austin Carlyle, the former lead singer of the group of Mice and Men. Carlyle's mum actually died from the condition. There's no cure, but with proper treatment and monitoring of any heart problems, most Marfans patients have completely normal lifespans. Music is loaded with stories about blind people. Ray Charles, Stevie Wonder, Jeff Healy, Andrea Bocelli. And here's another, Casey Harris the keyboardist with ex-ambassadors and the older brother of Sam, the band singer. Casey suffers from a rare genetic condition called Senior Loken Syndrome, which affects both the retina and kidneys. He's been visually impaired since the day he was born. He's always been legally blind, but he can make out print if the font is large enough, and it has to be really, really large. He also needed a kidney transplant in 2010. His mum was the donor. Casey had to develop his other senses to make up for his visual issues. Before ex-ambassadors took off, he worked as a piano tuner because he has an extremely good sense of pitch. He has a setup for playing in the band which involves larger knobs and controllers than normal. Otherwise, he just can't see them. Let's veer back towards the topic of mental impairments. We've already talked about Joey Ramone and his OCD. Many musicians are afflicted with bipolar disorder or manic depression. This is a chronic mental illness that often manifests itself in extreme changes in mood. Very, 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 very happy and high energy, which is called mania, and very sad lows or depression. Those swings can be very common and severe. And there are three types of classifications, bipolar 1, bipolar 2, and the most severe, cyclomythic disorder. The fact that so many musicians have talked about being bipolar 
shouldn't be much of a surprise since there is, in fact, medical evidence that bipolar individuals tend to be more creatively expressive. The list of bipolar musicians includes Scott Weiland, Pete Wentz of Fall Out Boy, Brian Wilson of the Beach Boys, Sinead O'Connor, Frank Sinatra, British folk singer Nick Drake, and quite possibly Kurt Cobain. Another sufferer is Matthew Good. So everything seems to be going reasonably well from a professional point of view. You're, you're on your own, you're, you're calling your own shots, but then everything goes dark. Yeah. Well, I got divorced. And that was a sudden thing. Yeah, it was a very, very sudden thing, and there was a great deal of betrayal involved in it and things, you know, that I would find out mm. that I really didn't need to find out, you know? Like, I mean, I didn't drink for 11 years of my life, and I've never really done drugs. So, you know, when you find out after the fact that your ex-wife, you know, brought a suitcase of cocaine into your house to hide because some guy she knew was under investigation for dealing it, and you don't know that at the time. Bit of a deal breaker. Yeah, a bit of a problem. And among other things, uh, I didn't leave her, though. Uh, <laughs> you know, but... Uh, I basically went to my general practitioner, and I was on antidepressants at the time to try to deal with the anxiety that I was already feeling. He upped the dosage of uh, a drug called Effexor that I was on, and one of the things that it does is at higher dosages, it amplifies mania in people who suffer from bipolarity. Mm -hmm. Now, bipolarity is a genealogical disorder, which means you have it from birth. And and if you if I looked at my pathology honestly, um, my whole life, you know, on Ritalin at seven. Um, didn't sleep for three, four days at a time in my 20s. It all made sense, right? While everyone was partying in their 20s when we were on the road, I was stone sober. Mm. I was just manic, right? But when you get into your 30s, um, I started suffering from dysphoric mania, which is not like a happy, jubilant mania. It's more kind of akin to being put in a coffin with the two things you fear most, buried underground, and then having that coffin shrink and then time is, you know, times that by about 1,000. Right. It's hell, uh, and you're awake for it. So I was upped, the prescription was upped, but of course my general practitioner didn't know, you know, obviously that I was bipolar. So he gave me Ativan to counteract the mania that I was experiencing, and that led to one a day to all the way to six months later to 12 a day. And literally I could be sitting here talking to you having this conversation right now, having taken 12 throughout the course of a day. And if I gave, a normal person had one, they'd be asleep for 12 mm -hmm. hours. So I went to England uh, briefly. I, I was gonna go to La Rochelle in France and write a book, actually, for six months. And I got to my friend's house in Bristol and I just had a complete manic episode. What is a manic episode? Well, it depends on what kind of mania you suffer from. And it also depends on what kind of uh, bipolarity, bipolarity you have. Uh, type 1 bipolarity is a slow cycling illness in which you can go through extended periods of mania and extended periods of depression, right? So you can be up for like four months and down for four months kind of thing. And usually mania is associated with like you have a, a lot of energy, you're super excited, you, you mm -hmm. do things that are kind of a little bit weird and out of character, right? Dysphoric mania is when you have that exact same kind of manic energy, but you have the depressive state at the same time. Ooh. And it is... It is, uh, I wouldn't, if, if it could be turned into a weapon, it would be worse than a nuclear weapon. It's like the most horrible thing in the world. And that's why people who suffer from it tend, you know, the suicide rate is so significant. 
Um, not because people want to die, it's because they just want it to stop. Mm. But what happened was, is I ended up coming back home, all my stuff was in storage, so I ended up going out to my parents' townhouse, and uh, one night my dad made it some, barbecued some steaks, and we had, we had some beers, and like, I'm not a big drinker. So I had like two or three beers, and I went upstairs to watch a movie on my laptop in my, my mom's office, which d- doubles as a spare bedroom. And I took a couple more Ativan to go to sleep and they didn't work and kind of kicked in with the alcohol and I guess I cooked a couple more, a couple more and then I had a shower. And I asked my mom to bring me a beer while I was in the shower and she did and I went, I don't know what the hell happened. All I know is that I guess I hit the floor in the bedroom. My mom and dad were in the TV room next to the bedroom and my mom heard me hit the floor. I woke up in the hospital and I had to willfully commit myself. So you were there for how long? I was in the hospital for about a week, um, thereabouts, I think. Um, and then you have to go through outpatient, um, you know. The thing about it was is I was massively cooperative with the process, massively. You know, I was very, very lucky. Uh, the, the people at the hospital were extremely, extremely great. They never, they, you know, they, they were very low-key about checking me in, you know, like unregistered kind of thing. My psychiatrist actually turned out to be someone who, from my old neighborhood who, went, who graduated from my high school the year after me. So talking to him was great, you know, because of the relation. And uh, for me, it was like a mass enlightenment. Oh, this has been the problem, you know? Well, it was finding a solution to what had been bothering you for yeah, so long. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, and then you go through the process of, of, of outpatient care and finding a drug regime that works for you. And uh, Wasn't this something that Nick Drake had? Yeah, well, you see, this is the thing, and this is the, with regards to how Nick died, um, there are a a lot of different stories, right? I mean, some people believe that he got up that morning, because he had a bowl of cornflakes, right? And And he got up that morning, and he had a bowl of cereal, and that he took too many pills and died. But his family contends, or some in his family contend, that he had taken a pill and before and fallen asleep for a brief period or not at all and they couldn't get back to sleep so he woke up he had a bowl of cereal took another pill because he was out of it from the first one and the combination of the two accidentally killed him right. you know in his case I don't know all I know it's a damn shame hmm. because of how talented a man he was but um, you know in my case basically it led to a massive epiphany and obviously the creation of that record as you know, as, as uh, it being a very cathartic experience, and then you know, going from that to standing on stages by myself, translating it to people, instead of with a band to start with, which was the right move to do, you know, the right move to make. And that brings us to Vancouver. Yeah, and we're good. Yeah. The result of Matt's experience was an album entitled Hospital Music, and from that, here's a single called Born Loser. Matt Good, a guy who has long been honest and upfront about his battles with bipolar disorder. Since we're on the subject of mental issues, let's talk about autism. Like bipolar disorder, there are plenty of musicians who are on the spectrum and are keen to talk about it. David Byrne of the Talking Heads, for example. He characterizes himself as extremely self-conscious. 
He doesn't like to shake hands, and he feels socially awkward all the time. He believes he has borderline Asperger's syndrome, a type of high-functioning autism that can lead to above-average intelligence mixed with great creativity. Examples include Steve Jobs, Dan Aykroyd, and Jerry Seinfeld. On the musician side, Mozart probably had Asperger's, Eminem, Gary Newman, Michael Jackson. And then there's Craig Nichols, the singer for The Vines, a great band from Australia. When The Vines first appeared in 2001, we started hearing about Craig's bizarre habits, like insisting that he had to eat at McDonald's at least once a day. But there were bigger problems, temper issues against everyone from his bandmates to journalists to photographers to fans to strangers on airplanes. The band was even thrown off The Tonight Show for damaging part of Jay Leno's set. This resulted in troubles with the law and sabotaging a tour or two for The Vines. He was finally properly diagnosed in 2005 and agreed to therapy. That worked for a while, but then he was arrested for assaulting his parents in 2012. Today, he stays away from weed, doesn't drink, and lives rather hermetically while staying away from 21st century technology as much as he can. But eating at McDonald's and KFC? Yeah, he still really likes that. The Vines, featuring singer Craig Nichols, one of alt-rock's most famous cases of Asperger's, a form of autism. In a moment, the story of how Eric Hawk of Portugal, the man, ended up in his wheelchair. Welcome back. This is an episode that deals with some of the physical and mental disabilities that we find in the world of alt-rock. Eric Hauck plays guitar with Portugal, the man, but you won't see him running around on stage when he plays live, and that's because he's confined to a wheelchair. In 2005, when he was 25, he was in an accident that left him paraplegic. He was sitting against a retaining wall in the backyard of a friend's house in Seattle, and with no warning, that wall fell back, and he went over with it. He fell 12 feet and slammed up against a slab of concrete, breaking three vertebrae in his back and paralyzing him from the sternum down. He will never walk again. But he was determined to keep playing guitar. Within four months of the accident, he was back on stage with his band The Lashes, playing a festival. And as he kept up with rehab, he learned how to play guitar with a posture forced on him by sitting in a wheelchair. Touring with Portugal the Man has been tough. Wheelchair-accessible tour buses aren't exactly common, nor are dressing rooms for a lot of venues. But Eric and the band haven't let that stop them. And Eric now does a lot of outreach to other members of the disabled community, even when the band is on the road. Portugal the Man, featuring wheelchair-bound guitarist Eric Hauck. Next is the story of Scottish singer Edwin Collins, who has battled back from an extremely serious brain aneurysm and stroke. Things were going fine for Edwin until February 18, 2005. He was at the BBC doing an interview when he began feeling unwell. It wasn't that bad. He was a little dizzy and nauseous. Probably just something he ate. But two days later, he was in intensive care. Edwin had suffered a major cerebral hemorrhage, and then another one, and then another one, catastrophic bleeding of the brain. 
Less than a week after that radio interview, he had surgery to relieve the intense pressure in his skull. For weeks afterwards, he could only say four things. Yes, no, the name of his wife, Grace Maxwell, and for reasons that no one can explain, the possibilities are endless. Rather strange. The prognosis was poor, but he pulled through largely because of the incredible support he got from his wife. Her idea was to help Edwin recover by drawing and writing in notebooks. He had to do it left-handed, too, because the strokes rendered his right hand useless. Edwin has made a miraculous recovery. He does stutter when he speaks, but when he sings, there's no trouble at all. Four years after the stroke, he started recording music again. He can't strum a guitar anymore because of that bad right hand, but he can still form chords. Edwin walks with a cane, and he says he's much more mellow than he ever was. And one of the things that gives him great pleasure is bird watching, and he continues to release records. Here's Edwin's big hit from 1994. Edwin Collins from 1994 with A Girl Like You. If you're ever looking to read an inspiring book, his wife, Grace, is the author of Falling and Laughing, The Restoration of Edwin Collins. There's also a documentary entitled The Possibilities Are Endless. If you're interested in strokes and other brain injuries and how people deal with them, seek them both out. Two more stories, one about multiple sclerosis and another about dementia. We're talking about physical and mental challenges faced by some alt-rock musicians. Art Alexakis is best known as the leader of Everclear, who had a great run back in the 1990s. In 2017, he was diagnosed with multiple sclerosis, a disease of the central nervous system. It attacks the coating around nerve fibers, which can lead to all sorts of issues involving everything from walking to vision to fatigue. He kept it quiet for a long time, but then he started stumbling a bit and forgetting lyrics on stage, and people began to wonder if he was drinking or on drugs. Then he got into an accident. In April 2017, he was driving to pick up his daughter at school when the brakes gave out on his vehicle. He smashed into a Jeep. Fortunately, everything was okay, but then two weeks later, he noticed a twinge in his arm, which led to an MRI. And that was how he discovered he had MS lacerations on his brain. The good news is that his prognosis is generally good. His condition is under control thanks to three weekly injections of a drug called Copazone, he does have the occasional vision issue, but he should be with us for a while. This brings me to Aaron Solowinick, drummer for Billy Talent. You were first diagnosed with MS when? 1998, when what? I was 24. What were the symptoms? Um, buzzing legs from my hips down. Uh, I, I could barely walk to my job at Chrysler. Um, I had uh, optic neuritis in my left eye, so I lost a lot of vision in my eye, and just... Uh, yeah, just being confused and trying to figure out what all that meant was uh, really difficult. Now, you managed to keep it under control for a very long time. Mm-hmm. Very long time. Uh, with just a, a series of, of, of drugs and, and changes in prescriptions? Yep, drugs and uh, just being positive and, and, and just wanting to do all the things I wanted to do. I just didn't let it get me down. And, uh, and I, I was on this needle therapy for about over a decade. And uh, yeah, it all it all seemed to work, and yeah, and then it just stopped. Feel myself, feel myself getting slower as I get older, as we all do, you know. 
On January 15th, 2016, Aaron posted this on YouTube. Just uh, wanted to let everybody know what is going on in Billy Talent world right now. As you know, I've had MS for over 15 years now, and it hasn't stopped me from recording music and touring music ever. Over the past six or seven months, I've been dealing with a relapse. Uh, I'm gonna be switching medicine this week and doing everything I can to get healthy. With MS, these symptoms that I have right now are just kind of slowing me down. Anyone with MS can tell you uh, a set of stairs can be daunting at times and imagine having to sit down and play drums. Um, it can get very tiring. I approached the guys about this and the first thing they said to me is that they would wait for me to get better and figure it out. I kind of uh, told them that I can't do that right now because I don't know how long it's going to take for me to get better. I'm not going to be able to play drums on this record and I just need to focus on my health while the record's being recorded. But uh, we have reached out to Jordan Hastings from Alexis on Fire, Say Yes, and asked if he would have time to come in and learn these songs and record these songs and he has said yes so uh, right now he's in there recording the drums um, it's pretty cool to see he's such a good drummer uh, in the meantime I'm going to be taking a lot of pictures and filming and documenting everything that's going on um, and rest assured that I am going to do everything I can to get back on the drums. But right now, I need to step away for a bit and focus on my health. So, that's it. Canada has one of the highest MS rates in the entire world, if not the highest MS mm -hmm. rate. I can't believe how many people I know from even my circle of my family. Me too. That... You know, is it the the sunlight? Is it the lack of vitamin D? Is you know why is it that that Canada is such a target for MS? I think it's the sunlight and the lack of vitamin D. I really do because it happens a lot in uh, the UK as well. So it's a it's something as simple as giving your kids uh, vitamin D from a young age. I think I, I think you could even get rid of MS if everyone took vitamin D every single day. Um, but that's just a theory that hasn't really been proven. But have you been attempted to try some of the, the other therapies that we've uh, been hearing about over the last couple of years? Right now, I've, I, I've stopped taking all of my drugs. I'm, I'm three months into no drugs at all. I'm, I'm going the, the, the eating healthy and exercising route to see how that works because the drugs that I've been taking, the, the newer ones, haven't really worked for me and they kind of made me feel worse. So I'm just going with, with this routine of, of, you know, staying positive, exercising, eating well, and seeing where that takes me. And if it doesn't work, then I'll, I'll reach out to these newer therapies and see what happens. When did you make the decision that you weren't, wouldn't be able to participate in the last album? We had written 12 of 13 songs and we were one month away from going into the studio. And I just said, I can't do it. Why couldn't you do it? What was, what was the problem? I couldn't, I couldn't do it. I was walking with a cane at one point 
um, it was just I I couldn't do it. I was I was pushing myself too hard. I wasn't really listening to my body as much as I should. And it's something that I I've I've held with me since the beginning. You know, since album one, since album two, since album three. Like, you know, I'm I'm a I have MS. Like, this is something that's supposed to slow me down, but I'm not letting it slow me down. And I've always wondered if it would ever slow me down. And it slowed me down. So I, I think it's been, it's, I'm being as positive as, as I can about it and listening to my body and taking that knowledge and trying to come back even stronger. That's my, my goal. One more story. And it has to do with John Mann, singer of Vancouver's Spirit of the West. When he was 50, he was diagnosed with early-onset Alzheimer's. He'd already endured colorectal cancer when the Alzheimer's diagnosis was made in 2014. John had noticed that memory issues had been a thing for a while, but he and his doctors chalked that up to the cancer treatments, something about the chemo. But when the cancer went into remission and he no longer needed treatment, that's when the diagnosis was made. The cancer might have even been a trigger. Nobody really knows. John kept performing as long as he could. There was some stem cell treatment in Mexico in 2015, but Alzheimer's is a horror and things continued to deteriorate. Spirit of the West ended with a farewell performance in 2016. John received tremendous support from his wife, Jill. She even wrote a play about John's condition called Forget About Tomorrow. There's also a documentary entitled Spirit Unforgettable. And his musician friends regularly held benefits for him to help with John's medical treatment. That, by the way, includes everyone from members of the Bare Naked Ladies and Blue Rodeo to Sarah McLaughlin. And whenever one of these benefits was held, everybody joins in on this Spirit of the West classic. Spirit of the West featuring singer John Mann, who was diagnosed with early onset Alzheimer's and who died of the disease on November 20th, 2019. There are plenty of other musicians that face health challenges, both physical and mental. It ranges from Ian Jury of the British band The Blockheads, who lived for many years with the results of polio, something he caught as a kid in a public pool, to Bono, who has a very bum left arm after a terrible bicycle accident in New York Central Park. That's in addition to a back condition that nearly left him paralyzed and required all sorts of complicated surgery. We could mention Tony Iommi of Black Sabbath. The day before he was going to quit his job at a factory to go with the band full-time, some sheet metal sliced off a couple of fingertips. Since then, he's worn caps over those fingers. He also began using lighter strings on his guitar and tuned everything down to give the strings more slack, make them easier to play. Think about what that little trick meant to everything from metal to grunge. Still with accidents, there's Rick Allen of Def Leppard. He lost an arm when he crashed his Corvette after a New Year's party in 1984. Phil Collins can't play drums anymore. He has problems with his spine and his immune system, which makes it hard to walk. Whenever he performs now, he has to sing sitting down. And then there's Mick Mars of Motley Crue, who has a cruel form of arthritis that affects the neck, the spine, and the hips. They're all toughing it out, though, and the thing that keeps them going is the music. 
If you're looking for more music information on a daily basis, there's my website, which is a journalofmusicalthings.com. There's a free newsletter that goes along with it. If you want podcasts of this program, there are hundreds available at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever else you get on-demand audio. I can also be found on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, and I will always answer any email sent to alan at alancross.ca. Technical Productions by Rob Johnston. I'm Alan Cross. You've been listening to the Ongoing History of New Music podcast with Alan Cross. Subscribe to the podcast through iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, and everywhere you find your favorite podcasts. 